Hey, I'm Jesse. Are apologies a really big deal to you? Like you really, really, really want someone to apologize. Check your heart because you may not ever actually get peace. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7. As it is, to have legal disputes against one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? You've already lost church at Corinth and modern day believers if you're suing each other because it means that you've skipped the spiritual discipline process, the church discipline process that he just brought up in the previous chapter, citing the example of the man who's having an affair with his stepmom and like nobody confronts the issue. Nobody brings it up. Nobody enacts Matthew 7. Nobody enacts Matthew 18. Confront one-on-one. If he still doesn't re- repent, bring two or three witnesses. If he still doesn't repent, then go before the larger body of believers. And if he still doesn't repent, then you start all over again with the gospel. You treat this person like a non-believer. If your church has an official membership policy, they are excommunicated from church membership and you start all over again. All of this is aimed at restoring the brother, by the way. That's the goal, both in the Galatians sense and in, the, and, uh, in Matthew's gospel and in what Paul says here, even in his harsh language, speaking about this brother who's being confronted, he says that he hands him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Even this guy who's uh, coming under spiritual discipline, according to Paul's wording in the previous chapter, even in that case, even in that worst case scenario, the end game is that he'd be saved, is that he would be restored. The end game is redemption and reconciliation and salvation. So you've already lost If you're suing your church, if you're suing another Christian, you've already lost, you've already officially said, even if you would deny this verbally or in written form, by your actions, you've proven that you just don't trust God. You just don't believe Jesus. You don't believe in his restorative process for your your case, for your scenario. I get it, there are times when it it is important to bring in the authorities, but the vast majority of all disputes in the church world can be handled according to spiritual discipline matters. You see, you've already lost if you've let what Paul would consider a trivial case lead to something like a lawsuit. So you've you've already been defeated. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? If you've been wronged, if you've been cheated, you have really just two options. You can either forgive or go insane. Those are really the only two options. It's it's always a clear cut line between forgiveness and insanity. When we get, when we're wrong, when we're cheated, our sense of entitlement has been violated. Our narrative about ourselves is that we deserve better than this. And sometimes we can go too far with that to the point that we forget the gospel. We forget the doctrine of total depravity. And by the way, both Calvinists and Arminians believe that. They both submitted that, both as the first of the five points of Calvinism and as one of the articles of remonstrance at the Synod of Dort. So don't tell me that total depravity is a Calvinist term. Everyone on the spectrum believes in total depravity. When you believe total depravity, you know what you actually deserve. What I actually deserve is eternity in hell. What I get instead is eternity in heaven with Christ. My sins atoned for, called, sanctified, justified, glorified. That's pretty awesome. I don't actually deserve to never be wronged. I don't deserve to never be cheated. As Paul's going to go on to say in the next verses, yeah, you've wronged people. You've cheated others. It really comes down to forgiveness or insanity. So choose. It is far quicker a process to be wronged, to be cheated, to forgive and move on 
than it is to seek legal restitution, to seek full reparations, be they monetary or what have you. And if you have built your whole sense of peace around somebody else admitting that they did wrong and then apologizing to you, you want to see them subservient to you. And you want it to hurt when they apologize. That might mean that you have a problem apologizing when you've done wrong. I don't, personally, for, for the record, I don't really care much if people apologize to me. I care mostly if I'm able to forgive them in my heart. That's what really matters more. That's what actually affects my kids. If I'm sitting there all like moody and brooding and hung up on the fact that somebody's wronged me, somebody's cheated me, and I'm withholding forgiveness, and by the way, that's affecting my relationship with Christ, it's inhibiting my ability to ask God for forgiveness myself, that affects my family more than whether or not somebody apologizes to me. Because they can be forced to apologize, and then what good is a forced apology? Really, really, what good is it? Of what use is it? You twist their arm, they say, uncle, they say, I'm sorry. Does that heal anything in your heart? And if it strokes your ego and makes you feel superior, you got a whole other spiritual issue going on, man. Even the family members of murder victims whose loved ones killers were executed under capital punishment don't really receive peace and healing from the execution. This is not a discussion on the legitimacy of, of capital punishment. I'm talking about the hearts of the aggrieved, that really, really the only option they have, whether or not the, the killer is executed, doesn't bring them peace. What brings them peace is forgiveness in their own hearts. Why not rather just be wronged, be cheated, forgive, and move on? After all, as we're gonna talk about tomorrow, you've wronged people too. And there may be people who have had to forgive you in their hearts and you don't even know about it, man. So let's talk more about this tomorrow.